Hello, family. Praise the Lord. I'm happy to be here tonight. I'm kind of weary, but God's speaking to us tonight about rest, so it's a good one. <laughs> uh, tonight we're in First uh, Kings chapter 8, verses 57 through 66, and I'd like to, to pray. And Father, we, we give thanks and praise to you for our time of, of worship, how, how beautiful it is to be able to just surrender our hearts to you and, and cry out to you and sing praises to you, the God that is worthy of all of our praise. And there, there's nothing, Father, that we ought to be holding back from you. You've, you've purchased us with your own blood. And you've poured out blood. You've forgiven us. You've set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And we're grateful. We're grateful for all you've done and the promises that your word holds to those that love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. We're continuing tonight, family, in this, this incredible prayer of, uh, of Solomon. And as we finished up two weeks ago, we closed with these words. It said, there hath not failed one word of all his good promises. I, I love that. There has not failed one word of all his good promises, and his promises are good. Maybe you've been wrestling with God over the last week or so. If so, just grasp that truth in your mind and in your heart and know that God is faithful. He's faithful to provide grace that you need. He's faithful to help you in any struggles that you may have and also to keep you. And no one can pluck you out of his hand. Whose hand is mightier than God's? No one's. And I know that, you know, the, the, uh, the times we live in, you know, Paul would say to Timothy, they're, they're in, we're in perilous times. And I suppose never so clear as it is this week as we've seen our Senate vote and approve that, that bill that stands directly in the face of God's definition of marriage. Don't stop praying, though, because it still has to go back to the House for a vote. God can change that. And then then has to go to our president for signature. And Doug and I were talking about this earlier. Maybe his pens will run out of ink you know, mysteriously, right? <laughs> God can change it. So, you know, it's all in his control. It's in his hands. Um, I just shared with Jackie this morning uh, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's our job. That's our job, family. Stand strong. Stand for Christ. Walk with him. Walk in the light. No matter what happens, you belong to him. We belong to him, and I'm so grateful for that. I'd like to um, start by reading verses 55 and 56. And then we're going <clears> to <throat> depart from 1 Kings 8, and we're going to jump into Deuteronomy, and then back into 1 Kings chapter 8. But here's what it says, and this speaks of, of Solomon, and he stood and he blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of his Moses. His, Moses, his servant. Notice something with me here. You know, last time we spent a lot of time talking about 
this portion of the word that says there's not failed one word of all his good promise, but there's something else that stood out to me tonight too, or today. Solomon stood up. He blessed the congregation, but, in, but he began by blessing God, you know, bending his knee before the Lord in thanksgiving and praise. For the scriptures tell us, and Pastor Ann shared on, on this on Sunday in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. But notice that Solomon blessed God not because of an increase of wealth, and he, let's face it, he had a lot of money. <laughs> he had a lot of everything. But he wasn't blessing God for that. He wasn't blessing God because of honor or power or even victory to Israel, but rather, and we see it here in verse 56, he blessed them with rest. As if that was a greater blessing than all others. You see, rest is important to God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 says, And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. So our rest is important to God too. That's why God gave us the fourth commandment. It tells us this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It says, Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that, they, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. The Ten Commandments of God, they reveal the tender and loving heart of our Father. Many people look at the commandments quite differently than that, however. Many look at the Ten Commandments of God as a burden or some kind of dictate from God who just wants to remove any fun from our lives. But remember what John the Apostle said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. He said, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. John's saying, I'm experiencing the love of God by keeping his commands. And when we keep his commands, we begin to realize that, that he is truly so incredibly loving. He has given us life, something that's just so beautiful and wonderful as we keep them. And ultimately, trouble comes when we violate God's commands, doesn't it? And, and we, listen, we see the mess in the world around us now. I don't have to expound on that too much. You see it very clearly. But what's it a result of? You know, people think that, well, I'm going to have peace because I'm going to have my way. But, you know, we're not going to have peace unless we have God's way. But John said, we, we keep that as commandments. This is the love of God. So this, this fourth commandment shows us the tender heart of our Father. And what he's declaring in it is a day, one day that's to be different. And think about this. For the children of Israel, this was incredibly radical. Why? Because they were accustomed to slave labor where there was no such thing as a day off just to rest. 
For 400 years, they had been in bondage. Many generations passed, and they knew no different than work, 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 work. But how different this must be that God would say, listen, take a day off. Take a day off. Honor it. Keep it holy and keep it separate from the rest of the days. Why did God command this? Well, I believe it's because he knows our tendency, doesn't he? Work, whatever, however you define that. But to work, 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 work. And in his command, we see the word Sabbath means an intermission or to stop and take a break. Stop what you've been doing the other six days. And as a command, it's something that should be done. But, you know, we, we see the reaction of many people to the Scriptures and certainly to this particular verse, too. How do people react to this, this command of God to, to take a break or take a rest? They have a holy day, a, a day that's set aside for devotion to God, a special day. It draws a lot of different reactions. Well, first, many people deplore it. Many people say, well, listen, I, I can't afford to take a day off. I think God would say, you can't afford not to take a day off. We see it in our culture. You know, it affects every single person. Many say, I don't need a break. I don't want a break. Not something I have any interest in doing. Many people ignore it and agree theoretically with the concept. Well, I think it might, might have some merit could be a good thing, but for me, I just can't do it at this time in my life. There's pressure. There's pressure all around me to have this or to have that and live beyond my six-day means. But remember in Exodus 16, where God miraculously provided for his people, and God said, listen, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you manna every day, enough for that day. And on day six, I'm going to provide for you enough for the seventh day. So when you gather on the sixth day, there will be enough waiting for you on that seventh day to satisfy your needs. So you go out, you gather enough on day six to provide for day seven. That way, you can rest on the seventh day. Well, some people thought, well, if there's enough on day six enough for day six and seven, then I can really get ahead if I go out on the seventh day while everyone else is taking it easy. But here's what happened. In chapter 16, verse seven, and it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. They gathered nothing. Some people today scoff at the idea you know, that, that whole that seventh day, that, that Sabbath day, that day of rest is for everyone else. I'm getting ahead. I'm mapping out my business attack for the next week. I'm making my phone calls. I'm setting up my schedule, checking on this or that, diving into my emails just to be prepared for Monday. There isn't enough time between Monday and Saturday to get everything done. But God says, you know, he's, that's going to amount to nothing. All the way back in Exodus, it amounted to nothing on that seventh day when they wanted more. But you know, the thought process in our country is not only our country, it's countries around the world. Seven-day work weeks. 
I can get a bigger house. I can send my kids to private schools. How, how can you say that's wrong? I'm meeting my goals. I'm getting my bonus checks. I'm climbing the ladder. Isn't that good? But God says it's going to amount to nothing. There will be a leanness in your soul, a shallowness in your spirit. And it just won't work because there will be a time when you say, even with, with all this stuff, I don't have anything. I have nothing. I'm not happy. I feel like I'm on a treadmill. I've got an ulcer. I've got a headache. I'm exhausted. Why? Because God says it's not supposed to be that way. You gather nothing. And if we violate the manufacturer's instructions, things don't work right, do they? That's why they have things like instruction manuals that we don't read all that often until we have to, we're forced to. Some people will say, well, listen, that's good for everybody else. I'm the exception. I don't need a day off. That's for underachievers of society. I have the energy. But listen, the, the Sabbath has nothing to do with relieving physical fatigue. For Exodus 20.11 tells us that on the seventh day, God rested. Well, brings up a question. If God rested, he must have been tired, right? And God wasn't tired. Had the creation exhausted him so he needed to catch up on his sleep? No, God was not tired. Our God never slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't grow weary. And certainly God would have been creating every day, could have been creating from every day from then on, but he said, enough is enough. I've created what I want to create. I've done what's necessary and no more. Can't there come a point in our lives when we say enough is enough? I have so much that it's getting in the way. I'm, I'm going to stop. And God says, listen, that's what I'm trying to tell you. This is what you must do. Stop and rest. <clears throat> Take that intermission. Put your creativity on hold for a day and rest and meditate on the Lord. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. You know, some people never, ever enjoy the things that the Lord has provided because we're so busy doing other things. We can't sit back. You know, we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. Now, Jackie and I were talking the other day. We, we just never sit down here in this, on this couch and, and talk or meditate on the Lord, whatever it might be, just to be silent before him. And, and I'm more guilt, much more guilty than she is. She'll sit there and say, why are you running around like that? Why do you feel like you need to be doing something all the time? Well, that's a good question. That's a challenging question. Not necessarily a question I wanted to hear, but it's a question I needed to answer. This isn't a suggestion from God either. It's a, it's a command. But isn't it something how casually most people treat this command, like God's made it an option? Would we look at the other commands the same way? Thou shalt not commit murder? Oh, is that an option? Well, I know it seems like it today. But God says, no, it's a command, thou shalt not kill. And the other commands, too, they're all serious. This is a serious command. You see, one day in seven is to be holy. It's to be unique. It's to be special. A day that's set apart for renewal and relaxation. A day totally set apart from the others. A day that's different from all the others. 
And the Sabbath was to be a blessing and a benefit to God's people. And people don't exist for the Sabbath day. The Sabbaths are to be for the people's benefit. And listen, it's not about worshiping a day. It's about obeying a principle that God's laying out. And one day, you know, whatever day that might be, it's about taking a day and honoring the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. So when I take that one day in seven and, and clear the schedule, I receive the refreshment and I'm doing what Jesus is saying I must do. You know, as I think back to my, my childhood, it goes back a few years, I remember when, when Sundays were, were something real special. They, they still ought to be. Yeah, they are. But for most people, they're not so special as they once were. It had traditionally been a day that, hey, we as a family, we'd all go to church. And then afterwards, we would, we would hang out together. And there was, honestly, and it was beautiful, there was nothing else to do. The stores were all closed. Do you remember that? Gas stations were closed. What's that? Banks were closed. If you needed something done, do it in the first six days. I remember the horror on my parents' faces when the first store opened on Sunday. It's like, what? What are we doing? Now it's like the way it is, right? There were never any Little League games scheduled on Sundays. When I played Little League baseball, never on a Sunday. When I played hockey as a, a youth, never a game on a Sunday. No youth football. Sundays were quiet. A special day when families would worship together, spend that time together. The, the, the plan ought to be to honor Jesus in it. You know, and there's people that, that didn't honor Jesus, but everything was closed, so they hung out. God said that's important. I think we need to restore that somehow, but you know, the world, we're not, we and I are not going to change the world, but God can. We need to do what we need to do as Christians, as followers of Christ, and that is, this is an important command. If I take one day consistently from every seven and say, God, this is yours, I'm saying, what I have is not because of my work ethic. It's not because of my creativity or my energy. It's, God, it's because of you. You've provided. And I will prove it to myself and those around me that it's all you and for you to honor you, Lord Jesus, on the seventh day. I will honor you by obeying your command. In doing so, I'm saying, God, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. You are the provider of all of my need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm saying, God, you are faithful. You're faithful to provide in six days because you designed it that way. And your design is perfect. And your plans are right on. So the Sabbath day is a day, letting go for a day that acknowledge our trust in him. To continue to provide, to continue to bless, apart from all of our efforts. And you know, there's a blessing in it for us too. Less stress, 
yeah, there's plenty of stress in the first six days. God says, take a break from all that, and I'll give you some peace in your heart. Fewer ulcers, better attitude, feeling better. See, God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He knows what we need. And not only that, any emptiness that we might have in our heart, it's going to go away because our focus is now not on this or on me. It's on God and resting in him. He knows we need refreshment. He knows we need rest. So we need to obey him and take it. I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah 30. In this passage, what we see is there's, there's this group of Assyrians that were bearing down on Israel. And they were brutal, treating Israel brutally. And the people of Israel saw them coming and they began to panic. So what they did was they set up an alliance with Egypt to use their resources against the Assyrians. And here's what verses 1 and 2 say. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. You see, God indicted them Why have you pursued man's alliance? Why have you sought weak wisdom when you have me? Why do you think you can think yourself out of this? He's saying, woe to you. What about me? Well, are there pressures around you? Certainly employment pressures, family service to Jesus. Sometimes that can feel pressure, can't it? question is this, though. In whose effort are you doing what you're doing? Is it your effort? Or is it trusting in God? You know, the children of Israel were no different. They were trusting in themselves, in their effort, rather than trusting in God. There's a solution, however, that God provides. If you look with me at verse 15... It says this, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. What's the idea? What's the concept here? The idea is the Sabbath. In returning to me and in resting in me, you shall be delivered. But that's not practical. I've got stuff to do. But God would say, listen, I know who the Assyrians are in your life. I'm familiar with your schedule. I'm familiar with all that's taking place in your life. I know the battles that you're waging war on. But look at what God is saying in his verse. But in returning to me in rest, you shall be saved or spared or delivered. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. That is contrary to popular belief, isn't it? 
in quietness and in rest you'll find your strength? Well, yes, of course, for us, because we trust in the Lord. But God said, but you would not. You would not rest, and therefore you will not be refreshed. You had your own plans, your own programs. But look at what happened. Look at me at verse 16. But you said, no, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall you flee, and we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. We're just going to take matters in our own hands. We'll go take care of the battles. Have you ever felt like you, you just can't catch up or get ahead? Well, here's why. Your swiftness isn't where it's at. Because those that are circling you are swift as well. This is the point that he's making in verse 16. What we need to do is, is what he said in verse 15. We need to stop and rest and be renewed. Isaiah chapter 40 Verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Why? Because you waited on the Lord and rested in Him. And when you do those things, verses 20 and 21 tell us this. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thy ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. And this, this is really important. Remember verse 1 says, Woe to the rebellious children, that take counsel but not of me, that won't rest and return to me. But he's saying here, if you take counsel of me, I will show you. I will speak to you. I will teach you. If they would put away their programs, rest and return, they would hear a voice in their ear that would tell them to go to the right or to the left. That's what God's promising. If you sit quiet long enough and stop depending on yourself, I will speak. And I'll tell you which way to go. You know why we don't know the way to go at times? Well, it's because we don't do what God says when it comes to resting, rest and resting and listening. God says if you do this, you'll know which way to go and you'll experience a fullness and a richness. You will have power in your life when you rest and renew yourself in Him. You see, rest is important to God for us. God considers that to be something very, very valuable. Well, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 8. In verse 56 once again said, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. Now Solomon, he's going to bring four things out before the Lord on behalf of God's people. The first one is the presence of God with them. We find this in verse 57. 
The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers, and let him not leave us nor forsake us. Isn't that what we need and what we want? As individuals, we need the Lord. We need the Lord. As a nation, we need the Lord. But so many don't realize it. And what we've done is we've exercised our personal sovereignty over the sovereignty of God. We want to have it our way. We don't need the Word of God. We do. But outside, many people don't need the Word of God. They don't think they do, but they really do. Psalm 33, verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. You see, Israel's God was the Lord. Solomon knew it, and his heart was that the Lord would be to them today as he was to those that were before them, their predecessors. The second thing he prayed for, we find in verse 58, so that he may, that speaking of God, may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. What's he talking about here? He's talking about personal integrity. He didn't pray that, that they would have great wealth. He didn't pray that their borders would be increased, but that God would incline their hearts to himself so that they would walk in all his ways and keep God's commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. Praying that they would be an obedient people. You see, spiritual blessings from obedience are the greatest blessings. And here's why. Because they come right from the heart of our God. And we know that our hearts are prone to wander, don't we? Solomon knew the hearts of Israel were prone to wander. So the prayer is this. And it's a good prayer for us too. God, incline my heart to you. It's a wonderful prayer. It's a prayer that we ought to be praying, that we should pray. It's a prayer of submission. It's a prayer that by God's grace that our hearts are inclined to him. You know, and we can kind of fool ourselves at times thinking, well, I'll just incline my heart to God. Well, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. You know, we're still dealing with the flesh. So Solomon, in wisdom here, he's crying out, God, that you would incline the hearts of your people to yourself. God, do that with me. Incline my heart to you. Psalm 119, verse 36 says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Psalm 141, verse 4 says, Incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice, practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. It's interesting. Incline my heart to thy testimonies and not to covetousness. And then he says, incline not my heart to an evil thing. In other words, incline my heart to your heart, God. Because your heart is holy. Your heart is pure. Your heart is good. And that's the heart that I want. Psalm, excuse me, Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine heart unto my sayings. We need to be in a place of inclining to God, God, incline my heart to yours. The third thing that Solomon brought before the Lord in prayer, we find in verse 59. And let these my words, wherewith 
I have made supplication before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require. He's asking for a return on a prayer that he's made. Let these my words be near to the Lord day and night. And isn't it wonderful, family? And this is, this is pointing to Jesus. Isn't it wonderful to know we have an advocate in Jesus Christ who prays for us continually, day and night, every single day, constant. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He ever liveth, in other words, continually living to make intercession for us. And you see, Jesus is our advocate with the Father. John said this in 1 John 2.1, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Don't think that you can advocate for yourself before the throne of God. We need an advocate. We need Jesus. He can and he does because we are his. We belong to him. We have Christ in us. We are in Christ, and therefore we have an advocate in Jesus Christ the righteous. But we also have an accuser, don't we? And our accuser never stops accusing. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Accusations are flying day and night. Jesus Christ is advocating for us and praying for us day and night. Our enemy broadcasts our sins before God mocking us, insulting us, the ones that Jesus bought for his own. But don't worry. Not to worry. For Romans chapter 8 tells us this in verses 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Notice it doesn't say he made intercession for us. He maketh, continually makes intercession for us. Yeah, there's an accuser. But you know what? Before our Lord, the accusations are withdrawn by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, we've sinned, but we've been forgiven. We have been redeemed. And as it says here, we have been justified, just as if we've never sinned. Praise God for the power of the shed blood of Jesus. Notice, too, what Solomon prayed at the end of verse 59, that he maintained the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the manner shall require. In other words, no matter what comes up, no matter what the time, whatever the time is, whatever the need is, whatever the concern, whatever the circumstance, what are we told in Hebrews 4.16? Well, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace 
that we might have, may obtain mercy to find grace to help in time of need. As the matter shall require, is there a matter in your life right now that requires that you go before the throne of grace and asking God for help? Do you have a specific need on a specific day? Bring it to the throne of grace. Whatever the matter is, bring it before the Lord. Don't hide it. Don't try to hide it. Don't bury it. Bring it out. Why? That we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'd suggest I always need help, which means I always ought to be before the throne of grace. How about you? The fourth thing Solomon had prayed, we find in verse 60, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. His heart is this, that the Lord would receive all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, and that all the people on the earth would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. And shouldn't that be our attitude too? That we would be so full of praise, full of bringing glory and honor to our God that others around us would know that there's something, there's some connection that he or she has with somebody much greater than they are. And that is a connection with the creator of the universe. That connection that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ that, that we can be one with the Father because Jesus prayed that for us, didn't he? As he is with the Father. That there's something very different in us because of him. And that the world around us would know that there is no other than the Lord God himself. Well, Solomon then charged the people, verse 61, let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. Persevere in their duty to God. That was his heart. Let your heart be perfect or faithful with the Lord our God. That's a great charge, isn't it? That ought to be our, that ought to be our aim. Well, the dedication of the temple is about to be completed. And we see here that Solomon will be making sacrifices, and there's a lot of sacrifice here. Let's read verses 62 through 65. And the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered unto the Lord, two and 20,000 oxen. I can't even count that high and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day did the king hallow the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of peace offerings, because the brazen altar that was before the Lord was too little to receive the burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings. In other words, the, the, the altar was too small, insufficient in size to, to sacrifice all these animals that Solomon was going to sacrifice. So it spilled out into the court. And at that time, verse 65, Solomon held a feast, and all Israel with him, a great congregation from the entering in of Hamath unto the river of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and seven days, even 14 days. So the dedication of the temple is complete. 
the sacrifices are being made. And it was completed on the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles is a feast that lasts seven days. But this one lasted 14 days. A time of incredible joy and closeness with God. And the people didn't want to leave. They came to meet with God the same way that we do. We come here because we want to come here. We want to meet with our Lord, don't we? We want to grow in, our, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So on the eighth day, it says this in verse 66. This is the eighth day after the seventh day of the second week. So it's actually day 15. But on the eighth day, it says this. He sent the people away, and they blessed the king, and went into their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had done for David his servant and for Israel his people. When we come together to meet with the Lord, we have a desire not only to meet with him, but also that the Lord would inhabit our praises, don't we? We want the Lord to inhabit our praises because our praises are directed to him. We come together to celebrate his presence because he's here. Where Jesus said where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. And, and yes, we, we, we're here meeting with Jesus. He meets with us. We're on holy ground. So we, we celebrate, we sing, we praise him, we seek him, we, we draw near to him, and he draws near to us. But then too, you know, God's plan for each of us is that we would take time to rest also. I'm not saying not off here. This isn't the time or the place. But God is saying, take a day. Rest is very important to him. So as Solomon prayed for God's people, we ought to do the same. Solomon prayed these things. He prayed. He brought before the Lord. And as I think about that, we ought to pray also for one another. I'd suggest that even before we get here, you know, my prayer ought to be, and your prayer perhaps ought to be similar too, Lord, I, I want to meet with you tonight. I want to meet with you. I want to come to praise you. I want to lift my heart up to you. May, it, may my heart be perfect with you because I'm walking in your statutes. I'm walking in your commandments. I'm living my life in a way that's pleasing to you. God, that's my heart. Help me to incline my heart to yours so that I can hear you. Help me to rest so that I can hear you. When you say go to the right or go to the left, God, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying to me. Lord, help me to take that time, take that day and divide it away from the rest of the clamor of the week that I can just sit before you and rest and praise you and praise you some more. And I don't do enough of that. You know, it's easy to do here, isn't it? We sit and it's quiet. We, we praise Jesus. We have a wonderful worship ministry. We lift up our hearts to the Lord. We lift up our voices to the Lord. We immerse ourselves, excuse me, in the presence of God. We immerse ourselves in his word here. 
And then sometimes we go outside and it's like all this noise. God, I just, I want it to be silent. And you know, we have control over that. We just need to do it. Be still and to know that he's God. And you know, we can also pray as Solomon was praying for the people. We can, we can pray, Lord, I want to be here for others as well. I don't want this to be about me. Yes, certainly my, my relationship with you, I value and I, I'm privileged to have a relationship. But I, Lord, I also want to be here for others to help me to do that. Because, Lord, you know their hearts. You know their needs. You know if they're having a difficult time or, a, or just a rotten day or a rotten week, whatever it might be. Maybe there's some personal concerns or hurts that, that God would have us to involve ourselves, not to be nosy, certainly not, but to somehow minister God's grace to someone that needs it today or the next time we gather together. Lord, help me to be there for someone that, that's in need, as, as you are for me, constantly. He's our present help in trouble. And I know that none of us would choose to place ourselves as a substitute for the Lord ministering, but Lord, would you minister through me as your instrument, as your hands, as your heart, as your mind, as your feet, as your eyes. I think if we can do that, family, and be prepared to do that before we even step into the building, I think God's going to do great things. I really do. We learn a lot from Solomon. We've learned some of the good, the bad, and the ugly, haven't we? <laughs> and we're not done yet either. But I'm so thankful for God's word. I'm so thankful for people like, like King David and King Solomon and, and so many others. You know, think of Moses, and I think of Abraham, and Jacob, and Isaac, and, you know, all, all these, these people, the, the women of the Bible, just people that God chose to use. No better than us, no worse than us. Just God's people that wanted to be used by God. And God says, yes. There's one exception, and that was Jonah. He didn't want to be used by God, but God used him anyway. <laughs> God had his way. God has his way. So, Father, we thank you that, that we do belong to you. We thank you, Father, that you love us, and you call us to be your own. As Peter said, you're peculiar people. You're special. You're special people. And Lord, you make us feel special because we are special to you. You've done so much for us. You've done everything for us. And Lord, I, I embrace those, those words of Jesus and I pray you would remind me continually when Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. Lord, just illuminate that to my heart, to our hearts that we would learn to trust you with all of our heart, not leaning on our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledging you, 
and you'll take care of the rest. We thank you for that. Thank you for the privilege to be here tonight to sit with you and to hear your voice and to, to be able to approach your throne of grace. How beautiful it is that you invite us to come boldly that we might obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. And Lord, we need you. Lord, I pray you would receive our praise now. Thank you, Father, that you've given us voices to sing, to sing our praises. You've given us hearts and hands to raise to you, God. Help us to bless you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Shall we stand and praise Jesus together?